Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh Ladies and gentlemen, team guests I'm Dr. Nozoida Osman from International Law Unit ILU Faculty of Sharia and Law FSU University Society Islam Malaysia Your moderator with His Excellency Professor Dr. Dirit Ladi from South Africa and our own expert from ILU FSU University Malaysia Dr. Farid Muhammad Hassan This episode is the second episode on the functions and powers of the ICJ. I have three questions for each invited speaker. My first question is, what are the functions and powers of the ICJ and or what can trigger the ICJ jurisdiction both on the settlement of disputes and for its advisory opinion? Justice Kladi and Dr. Farid, the floor is yours. I, I think that uh, this question has already been discussed and mentioned by uh, Professor Teladi earlier on the reason why there is a need uh, for the ICG to be established because, you know, to settle international law disputes and also to clarify the legal principle at the international level. So that is the functions. I, I mean, among the functions, or among the main functions of the ICG. But uh, the question on, on the question on who or what can trigger the ICJ jurisdiction. So we have to look at the ICJ statute itself, right? Because if you look at uh, the provisions under the ICJ statute, uh, it clearly uh, states that all these states uh, uh, which are members to the UN can bring case to the ICJ uh, based on their compromise, right? Mostly based on their compromise. So which means that both uh, both parties, for example, like Malaysia or Singapore and so on. So if both nations agree to bring the dispute to be resolved by the ICJ, then uh, the ICJ jurisdiction will be triggered. But not only that, uh, as indicated by Justice Taladi earlier, that the ICJ also has the power to provide or to clarify on legal principles or legal uh, or on the principles of law at the international level, whereby the UN General Assembly and also the UN Security Council also has the power under the UN Charter as well as under the ICJ statute to request the ICJ to provide for an advisory opinion. Right. So I think that uh, you know. Uh, uh, these are among the source of power and also the parties or organizations that can trigger the ICJ uh, jurisdiction under the ICJ statute. Yes, bro. Yeah, I mean, again, I think that that's a very comprehensive answer. Um, if there's anything that I would add, maybe not so much add, but just um, to put it in slightly different terms, I always say to trigger the the, the jurisdiction of the ICJ, uh, the parties have to agree, right? I, I think that's the basic rule. Um, but there's different ways in which that agreement can be reflected. And one the, the one way that I like to make a distinction is that um, a dispute can arise. And after the dispute arises, the parties can agree to submit that particular dispute to the court. In other words, there, um, in those kind of instances, um, you know, true consent, the parties go to the ICJ almost, you know, with their eyes wide open. Um, and very often in those instances, the parties would have already made the calculations about willing to accept the outcome. The other kind of scenario, which is a little more difficult, is where the consent is given prior to the dispute arising, right? And so there's a treaty that is uh, that's entered into 
or the parties accept the compulsory jurisdiction of the court, right? So that's the consent. And then dispute arises afterwards. Um, in that instance, very often what we see is we see one party that wants to take the matter to the ICJ and another unwilling party. And of course, that makes it for a really strongly contentious case where the words that you used earlier about fighting in court, I think becomes a lot more appropriate. So if you think about um, some of the most contentious cases that are currently on the agenda of the ICJ right now, let's stay. Um, and then one other point to amplify as far as the advisory jurisdiction of the ICJ is concerned is that, of course, you've got the competent organs of the United Nations, but also the possibility of um, international organizations with competence to do so also to request advisory opinions. We've just had one uh, a decision by the International Labour Organization now requesting an advisory opinion concerning the right to strike. And so that's that's also a possibility um, that can be brought in, right? So previously both mentioned on the advisory opinion and the settlement of disputes. My next question is, are the advisory opinion and settlement of disputes opined and held by the ICJ binding? That's a very good question. So, are the advisory opinions of the ICJ binding? That's the question that you're basically asking, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I so... Under the statute of the ICJ, um, decisions of the court are not binding um, except as between parties. So that's the basic rule, right? And for advisory opinion, of course, there are no parties. So the advisory opinion itself is not binding. And one, I guess you can even look at the word advisory. And from there, you can get a sense that, that the opinion itself is not binding. That said, when the court makes a determination, you know, whether in a contentious case or an um, advisory opinion, the, um, the content or the reasoning of the court remains authoritative. Right? And so in that sense, it unless it, so it retains the authority that it would otherwise have. Um, the question is always, I think that one can ask is, why is it that an advisory opinion or even a contentious case establishes these legal principles, even though the ICJ uh, statute says that uh, um, decisions of the court are binding only as between parties? And the answer is really simple. International law is made by state, and very often the decisions of the ICJ, including advisory opinions, are accepted and embraced by states. And it's that process of acceptance and embracing that actually gives the ICJ decisions, including advisory opinion, um, the authority that they have. So they're not binding, but they're certainly very, very authoritative as far as declaration or declaring the content of rules of international law. Okay, so I guess uh, we did during our class, during the fellowship program, we did discuss a lot on this binding issues of the advisory opinion. So it's authoritative, yeah? So, uh, Dr. Farid, do you want to add anything yeah. before I ask? Uh, yes, sir. Thank you. Um, I, I think that uh, Professor Taladi has explained very uh, conclusively uh, on the question, and I, I do agree with what uh, Doctor, I mean Professor Taladi has mentioned that uh, the ICJ uh, advisory opinion by the name by itself, you know, where we say the opinion or advisory uh, by itself is non-binding in nature. But as as we have discussed earlier, that uh, the role of the ICJ is to clarify on legal rules, uh, which means that whatever clarifications on the legal rules which have been clarified by the ICJ through advisory opinion, although it is not binding in nature, but it is highly persuasive for future reference because, you know, the clarifications or the, the, the statement made by the ICJ when clarifying on certain uh, international legal principles or legal rules might not be applied today but it might be useful in the future. So that is why uh, the advisory opinion will be of very much uh, of assistance 
to future cases to be referred to. The same goes to whatever disputes which have decided by the SAG, although it is not binding on all nations in the world, but instead to the disputing uh, nations, for example, like between Malaysia and Singapore, because uh, uh, the, the ICG decision will only be binding upon uh, the, the states which have brought the case to the ICG. But still, the decisions of the ICG in that particular case, although binding on, on that particular nations, will still be of very much of assistance for future reference, which might be still adopted by future cases. So we, we uh, it must be decided and we have to look at the case-by-case -case basis because we do not know what's going to happen. So that is why we, uh, whenever legal issues arise at the international level, so the Security Council or the General Assembly requires the ICG to provide at least for some clarifications or legal issues, for example, on the erection of the wall in in, uh, in Israel between Palestine and Israel, so whether it is legal under international law or not. So the, the ICG has already given uh, its um, advisory opinion on that. So should the same matter arise again in the future on the erection of the wall again by any nations on the world, then such advisory opinion can still be argued on its legality, right? Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Farid. So just now you mentioned about Malaysia and its neighboring countries. So that this is my last question, which is close to Malaysia and its neighboring countries, such as Indonesia and Singapore, you know, we have brought several disputes to be decided by the ICK, such as on the sovereignty over Likita and Sipada Island, with the former and on the sovereignty over Pedra Paranga or Pulau Batute, with the rocks and South Ledge with the later states. Do you think that states such as Malaysia, Indonesia and Singapore should have settled these disputes through political apparatus, i.e through negotiations between that rather than to be judicially decided by the ICK since the former will create a win-win situation to the parties concerned but the latter will definitely create a win-low situation to those parties and subsequently will lead to, to some extent trust deficits between these nations so what is your view Justice Tiladi on this final question well, I'm a judge of the International Court of Justice, so I don't think I can be. Uh, I don't think I can be very uh, objective. No, I. I really think that it's important to have trust in the International Court of Justice. The, you know, and I made this point at the beginning. Um, the ICJ and judicial settlement of disputes does not preclude the possibility of um, some political settlement. And in fact, very often a political or a recourse to judicial settlement takes place after the other processes have taken place. So so it doesn't exclude that possibility. What judicial settlement of disputes does is it provides the possibility if those other you know options haven't worked to settle a dispute. So me personally I think that it's it's uh, it's wise whenever you can, whenever there's a dispute that can be settled, um you know, whenever there's a dispute that can be settled politically to do so. Um but in the event that it's not possible to settle it um so politically I think it's always good to um to approach the International Court of Justice. I think what's what's particularly heartening in the instances that you referred to in the instances of uh, you know the disputes between um, Malaysia and Indonesia and Malaysia and Singapore of course is, is that these were done through a compromise right and so this is your the kind of dispute I think um, where the parties both decide um, that this dispute is best settled through a judicial settlement procedure and then you enter into a compromise and you agree 
it's almost if you um, again go back to that um, two types of disputes or two types of contentious disputes one where the parties go into the court with your eyes wide open I think these are uh, the kinds of cases that really should be welcomed because uh, because it suggests that states have thought very carefully about um, the consequences and have said I you know continuing with the uncertainty is worse than the possibility of losing one last point on this point is that um, it's not it's not always the case that one party you know wins everything obviously in um, so Malaysia, Indonesia. Um, I guess the you know the best way to look at it is that Malaysia won, right? Um, but it's not always the case. Um, there are some decisions that you look at and you can see that the court um, has sort of given something, if you like, to both parties. And I think that that's always a, also a possibility. Of course, the court that's not the court's function. The court's function is to apply the law and, and, and so. Okay, thank you, Justice Tiladi, on your response, uh, Doctor Farid. Perhaps you would like to make a response before our episode two ends. Yeah, I I think that uh, yes, uh, I think that I would like to echo what uh, Justice Teladi has said. That you know, uh, I I believe that uh, nations, right? Uh, like you have mentioned earlier, that for example, Malaysia and Singapore, or Malaysia or Indonesia, or any other nations in the world, uh, perhaps that they have went and and also uh, decided on a political solution, right? So I I believe that they they they, they tried their level best to settle uh, their contentious disputes, right, between two or more nations politically uh, they are trying to at least have a win-win situations for both parties but at the end of the day so we you know the, the parties to the disputes might not come to uh, an agreement right so because it will be very difficult to to reach to the same agreement between uh, the nations so it is what at the end of the day so uh, the, the last resort to settle the dispute is by uh, by the courts right yeah, in this sense by the ICJ and once the, the, the parties have agreed to bring the matter to the ICJ for that matter then they should have foreseen that the decision will be binding upon them so whatever the, the, the result they should have accepted with uh, an open heart so uh, it, 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 uh, the, the issue of losing or winning is, is not uh, or should not arise or should not be questioned because they should have foreseen this because of course one party will, will uh, you know, uh, get what they want uh, and the other party will, will not accept. Of course, the losing party will always see that, you know, it's unfair and everything. But again, uh, it's uh, their decisions based on compromise. So the decisions made by them. But again, as Justice uh, uh, Taladi has mentioned, it's not always a, a win-lose situation. Perhaps that's, uh, we, if we analyze some cases, for example, that the court will normally decide on the very contentious matter. And the, uh, I would say, uh, I would use the word the least contentious matter to be resolved by them politically right so that you know at least uh, uh, the the most contentious part to be decided by the court by using international legal principles and the rest to be decided and to be resolved among the nations okay thank you to dr farid for the response thank you all for tuning into this ocean podcast on the international court of justice in this session, we explore the functions and powers of the ICJ, including its role in settling international disputes, providing legal advice to the United Nations, and promoting international justice and human rights. We also examine how understanding the history of the ICJ ruling on Pedro Branca, Ligitan, and Sipadan could help resolve the disputes once again. Thank you for listening and I hope you join us for the next session. 
Section 3 is on the ICJ versus the ICC. Stay tuned.